The Accounting Insider with Kim Nitschke. Yes, welcome back to The Accounting Insider. I'm Andrew Montessi with The Accounting Insider himself, Kim Nitschke. How are you today, Kim? Very well, thanks, Andrew. It's good to be back. Uh, we did intend to um, kick this thing off fortnightly, but Christmas got in the way and all of that sort of stuff. But uh, it's now Feb and we're ready to crank things up. Kim, I think as a starting point, we should really unpack your property world, which is really interesting. Um, perhaps, I, mean, I know we touched on it in episode one, but initially, can you give us a bit of a snapshot of your property portfolio um, and then we'll start unpacking some of the details and the lessons learned. Okay, so you want to know what my property portfolio looks like now? Yeah, yeah, give us a little okay. bit of a snapshot. All right. What's, well, can you tell us what it's worth as well? Um, yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think all up it's worth about seven mil. Nice. Uh, so I've got five properties. Um, one of which is my house, obviously, um, on 20 acres, uh, 12 kilometres from the city centre of Adelaide. Um, I bought that as a um, run-down stone farmhouse sort of cottage thing, which I gutted and did a 400 square metre stone extension on. Um, property number two is my office on Glen Osmond Road which is just an old um, 1920s Tudor house, which has been rezoned as an office. And I've also got the building next door, which is an identical looking building. Um, in addition to that, I've got a house, which is um, a stone-fronted bungalow in Glenunga, which I've owned for about eight years, which has got a pool and an extension on the back of it. And my final property is a property uh, which is a um, a residential, uh, sorry, a retail um, premises in Mount Barker in the centre of the CBD. So how did you get started? I think that's what we're going to perhaps unpack in this episode today is getting started, getting going. I think most people, the Australian dream is owning property. Um, everyone's either looking to get started, is getting started, or is sort of well down the track of owning property and building their own portfolio. What did you start with? Well, um, I sort of was given a bit of a leg up from my dad. So at my 21st birthday, he gave me a check for 20 grand, and that was my deposit for my first house. I had a bit of savings in addition to that. I'd, um, I'd uh, sold off um, a herd of cattle. <laughs> which I'd um, bought as day-olds from dairy farmers. And um, over a period of time, they'd built up to a herd of about 45 cows. <laughs> I never knew that you owned cattle. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. Um, I used to love it. I used to um, uh, adjust them on all the local farmers' properties and pay, you know, a dollar or two dollars a week per cow, per head. And I came to a point where I was just, uh, I didn't have enough time to look after them, so I sold them all off. And I can't remember what the amount was, but I, you know, I might have had another 10 or 15 grand, or maybe even more than that, uh, which I rolled in with the cheque from my dad, and that formed a deposit on my first house. My first house was a 
awful Art Deco house in Little Hampton, which is a suburb about 20 k's from Adelaide, in the Adelaide Hills. Art Deco is beautiful. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful now, but back then it looked awful. But it was on a massive block and it had um, enough room to cut off a block on the eastern side and also on the western side. So I guess that formed a little mini subdivision that I did. Um, I bought that house at auction and I remember the agent was just like a backyard agent from up in the hills and it was so embarrassing. Uh, there was myself and one other person who were interested in the auction and it came down to $50 bids. And, <laughs> and it was like the agent was saying on every bid, come on, Kim, it's just another $50. And it was, a, I think I paid $141,000 for it. But, you know, every minute or so towards the end, it would change between, you know, absolute um, excitement and then $50 later, the other guy would have a bid and it would be like, I'd be absolutely devastated. How does that even happen? How does it get broken down into $50 increments? <laughs> I it was just, I just remember that, you know, the, the whole, um, the whole um, theatrics of this, this um, event, just it sort of is really clear in my mind. As to, How old uh, were you? So I was, I think I must have been 21 or 22. So you ended up winning the auction with your that last $50 note in your pocket. It was like someone was there with a friend who's like, oh, Kim, I'll give you 50 bucks just to get it over the line. Because I was way beyond what I was supposed to pay because I was caught up in the euphoria of the actual experience. So, my, you know, I might have said beforehand to, um, you know, my dad, look, I'll go to 138 and I ended up squeezing it to 142 and a half or something like that. And, and 142,550. <laughs> <laughs> so so when you bought that place were you thinking long term were you thinking okay this is step one in building my property empire um, and were you straight away thinking okay right how do I inc- you know help this place increase in value what was your what was your thought process yeah so I was pretty clear that I wanted to get something that I could add value to back then I knew that um, you know I could add value to a property by either renovating it fixing it up um, doing something that uh, w- w- you know wouldn't cost a lot of money, but would add a lot of value to the house, and obviously one of those options of adding value was creating more land. So um, I I bought this on the proviso that I could go into the council, fill out some forms, subdivide it, get it surveyed, and then flog the two blocks off on either side of it. So is that a key lesson? There is immediately looking for ways to add value to a place instead of you know some people might just buy a property and sit on it and over the course of time you know hope or expect that um, its value will increase do you immediately look for ways to add value yeah yeah, absolutely so that's probably my golden rule number one is um, when I see something if if I know that this house that I'm looking at is immaculate and it's been um, renovated absolutely beautifully um, I'm, I sort of steer away from those because the person who's selling it is is the person who's winning on that deal I try to look more for opportunity and try to think outside the square and you know like I, I'm more attracted to a the, the worst house in the best street sort of scenario and even so you know I like to see like um, a, a massive tree in the front 
yard that's just got out of control that um, you know you can't even see the house from the road sort of scenario or car bodies in the front yard that have been left there by you know reckless tenants those sorts of things or um, I know one property I bought um, it had um, an awful veranda on the front it was actually a beautiful little bluestone cottage but the person who bought it um, had done a, uh, a terrible uh, renovation of the front veranda so I knew when I was signing the contract that it was going to take me a day or two to get some friends around with some um, wood and some tin and put, restore it to what it looked like 100 years ago and also it had a massive um, out of control tinnus in the front um, front yard where you know 99% of people who were racing past the place who saw the sign out the front couldn't even see that there was this um, character building behind the disgusting facade. So then for people looking to buy their first home with the view to build a bit of a portfolio what should they be looking for in a first home? Yeah so this is quite interesting because I came up with my theory on this and then I, I heard um, Anthony Toop, um, who's a, you know, pre- um, a, a very successful real estate agent in Adelaide, talking about um, exactly the same topic and he came out with exactly the same house as being his perfect model first house. I, I think the best house to buy um, right off the bat is a house in the eastern suburbs, um, single-fronted cottage with a car park, that's very run down. The reason I suggest that is because, you know, you're probably looking at a block size around 230 square metres, so you're not getting a lot of land, but and you're effectively buying half a house because that's the way they were designed. But to do a renovation on those sorts of places is very cheap. Like, you can buy a cheap IKEA kitchen, get a couple of mates for a carton of beer to come around and bang it up on a weekend. Um, you can rip the carpets out, you can redo the paintwork, all of this sort of stuff isn't going to be a massive expense. You know, you might be looking at um, everything that you do to it, and, you know, is going to be less than a $5,000 exercise, which, you know, I think is great value for money. And, and, you know, you can renovate the back garden, even if it's a disaster. You can go into Bunnings or, you know, a nursery and buy 20 or 30 plants and turn it from um, something which is really ugly into something which looks really good. The reason I say... Um, get a car park is because everyone these days really is happy to pay a premium to be able to park their car off the street um, and the reason that I like to go for the older things older houses is because they're sort of timeless and if you've got if you're selling that place at auction um, and there's a young couple there bidding on it they'll always pay a little bit extra for something that looks attractive from the street you know like street appeal the girls are sort of um, pay a bit extra to get something that's cute and so I think that you can um, take well not take advantage of it but you can leverage. certainly leverage off that off that element my issue there is I'm terrible at anything renovation related um, just the thought of going through a renovation process of any kind just frustrates me like I'm already frustrated now just thinking about it and <laughs> You know, it's not even on the agenda for me at the moment. How, I mean, for people like me who can't do stuff themselves, we'd have to pay someone or try and, you know, lean on a mate. 
Is it, is it wise for someone like me to go into a, a renovation situation? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, look, I know it sounds overwhelming. You go in there and you, you wouldn't know the first place to start, but really the learning curve on DIY renos is really easy and really fast. So, you know, I remember my first set of tools. I bought them secondhand off eBay, DeWalt. They last forever, so rugged, so... Um, you know, so strong that they'll probably be passed on to my kids when I pass away. They're just absolutely bulletproof and so cheap. But with the renovation thing, it's, you know, you look at, you go there and let's just say there's a hole in the wall. You just drive down to Bunnings, buy some no more gaps and and a corking gun and just start pumping the stuff in there. Give it a day or so, sand it, paint it, you'd never know there was a hole in the wall. It's that sort of mindset, whereas, you, you know, I often compare it to doing a, a, a um, repair on a car. It's, you know, repairs on cars are so difficult and they have to be done absolutely so correctly because you're driving down a highway at 120 kilometres an hour. If you haven't done the, the um, repair correctly, the car can just fall apart, whereas a house, the worst that's going to happen with your hole in the wall that you've plugged is it might crack or fall out and you can just replace it in two or three years or you know, realistically 10 years time. But even if you're not that handy, I wouldn't be overwhelmed by it because these days, if you've got a few mates who are tradies or you get online or just pick up the local um, messenger, there's a heap of people in there looking for work. You get someone around, pay them a couple hundred bucks for you know half a day's labour and they'll solve the problem for you. You won't even have to pick up a thing. You just have to be good on the phone and coordinate it and um, be good with spreadsheets and budgeting. That's where you come in as an accountant. <laughs> but <laughs> Renault is clearly a massive part of your strategy given that you've gone and got qualified as a builder and all of that stuff. So as far as building your portfolio, you see that as a massive advantage. Yeah, I do. Um, you know, fortunate for me as an accountant, um, you know, uh, the um, Okbar has worked out that um, most building projects go off the rails, not because of technical knowledge and know-how, which I'm limited in, but getting better at. They go off of track because of financial reasons. So, in their wisdom, they've made it easier for accountants to get builders' licences. Um, because they know that there's um, an element of surety there that if an accountant's running the job, there's it's less tr- le- less chance of it going off track financially. Um, so yeah, having my building license is brilliant because I can do my own renovations and sign off on them. Um, and, and I was getting to the point where I was doing that anywhere. I was on site doing these renovations and the builder would just a lot of sort of rock up for lunchtime and just wanted um, you know, an update on where I was at with it. And then at the end of the project, he'd just sign off and I'd be cutting in checks every month for 10% of whatever work I was doing. So yeah, the renovations are a huge part of what I do. Um, they really, at the end of the day, a renovation, if you just look at the material component, it's very, very cheap. A massive component is labor. Um, and if you shop around, always get three quotes on any sort of renovation that you're doing, you'll be staggered in the variation in prices. And if you build a relationship with a carpenter or a friend of the family who's a sparky or whatever, and you say, look, just need you for three or four hours, can you give me an hourly rate, can you come and help me? You'd be amazed at how much you achieve. Hmm. So on that, you mentioned that the biggest problem for renos is financing it. Um, How do you go about planning the financial side of the renovation as an accountant um, 
you know, do you set a clear budget with a bit of a buffer in case stuff goes wrong? I mean, what are some tips around that sort of budgeting for a reno space? Yeah, so depending on the size of the scale, if we're talking first homes, really, if you've got cash flow is everything. So if you've got a good job, often just the bits and pieces that you pick up from Bunnings, you know, often you'll find you won't have to draw down on your mortgage or whatever just to do those little renovations. If it's more structural and it's a bigger renovation, then I'd say, well, at the outset, you probably need to flag that with a bank that, you know, this property's going to cost me $450. Uh, I might need thirty grand for stamp duty. And you say to the bank, look, can I just have the flexibility there for another 20 or 30 to do some renos? And usually, these days, banks know that that's actually money well spent, so they'll approve it and leave that um, amount of, funny, of, of money there available for you to draw down over the next year or two as your renovations progress. Okay, that's really interesting. I mean, on the finance side of it as well, just perhaps going back a couple of steps, looking at your first home, what are the ways that people can go about funding that? Um, you know, you're obviously an accountant, but also have a finance broking uh, experience. Tell us some of the options for financing your first home and some tips. Yeah, so I, I think these days um, property's gone up so much in value and mortgages are so much higher than when I started out. But, you know, so the whole parameters of the, uh, of the, the lending game have changed. So back when I started, it was like, no one really borrowed over 80%. But nowadays, just to get a, a foothold in the property market, you really have to go to 90% on your first house. Now, banks usually, if you're borrowing over 80%, they'll, require, they'll ask you to take out lender's mortgage insurance, which is a large cost, and it could be anywhere from 2000 up to um, twenty or 30000 But really, it's money well spent because you've got to factor in that if if you don't pay that LMI and get your your borrowing capacity up from 80 up to 90%, some will go to 95%, probably a little bit higher for my liking. I'm, I'm very comfortable with 90%. Um, but if you don't spend that extra money, um, you it's the difference between getting the house and not getting the house. I would shop around um, on any finance proposal that you're getting because the banks are really competitive now. I noticed that at the moment, um, ANZ are just doing unbelievably good deals and um, they're very competitive and aggressive in the marketplace and undercutting the other banks. So it all changes back when um, I built my first place like 15, 20 years ago. Westpac were that, were that um, were in that position and they were just very aggressive. But now they've got such a massive market share that they're, they're not as competitive on rates and they're not as keen to do business. That's, but that's just my experience. You might find that um, you have a different experience. But with my connections, that's, that's where it's at at the moment. What benefits does seeing a broker bring? I mean, you mentioned shopping around. Is that the role of a broker or would you recommend doing that yourself? Um, I would definitely recommend going through a broker uh, and I've got my own broking licence and I've, I've found it tremendously valuable. We, we deal with 33 banks. So any, any um, deal that comes across our desk we're running it through a computer program which says this is best matched to this, this, and this bank. Whereas if you walk into a, a Commonwealth Bank branch, using them as an example, but your manager's probably not going to tell you that. Um, they're just going to be looking at one product that fits you know, that particular customer from their bank. The other thing is that you know, if you shop around and you know what's available, the interest rates can vary so much. Um, so recently I've changed banks 
um, from uh, one bank to another, but I saved um, three quarters of a percent by moving and there was no cost in refinancing. It was unbelievable. Some good lessons there. I mean, the other question that so often comes up in property and it's always in the media and all of that sort of stuff is when's the right time to buy? And I mean, is there a right time? Do you think, what are your thoughts on that as a concept generally? Yeah, I'm a very long-term um, buyer and holder. Uh, so it's really good in a way because for me, it's always a good time to buy. And I always have a seven-year window that I'm going to hold the property for. And you know, the, the people say that loosely between seven and 10 years, your property should double in value. Now, what's happened in the past is not always going to be a good prediction of what's going to happen in the future. But I, I think that if you've got that mindset, it doesn't really matter when you buy, you just have to, provided you're gonna add value, it's always gonna be a good time to buy. And even if property's flat and you're buying and selling, I'm often reluctant to sell, but if property stays flat, you buy, you add value, and you sell in that same environment, you're still gonna pick up money, even though everyone else who's buying is gonna be saying to you, oh, well, I bought this property five years ago and it hasn't done anything in value. Well, if they're obviously not adding value like what we're talking about now. Well, I think we've covered quite a lot of ground there about the getting started aspect of property. I think in perhaps in the next episode or two, Kim, we'll um, you know, go another few steps further into what happens beyond the first home and how to perhaps accelerate your portfolio. What do you reckon? Sounds great. Looking forward to it. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Accounting Insider Podcast with Kim Nitschke.